Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. What's happening, everybody? Coast to Coast Podcast coming at you. I am Joey Powell. This is Inside Carolina's weekly overall view of Tar Heel basketball. We're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Glad everybody is here. It's our weekly installment of the Coast to Coast podcast that we do during basketball season. Hope that you have had a great week and appreciate you joining us. Hey, if you have not yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, big shout out to John Bauman and everybody who works on the IC YouTube channel. Got over 20,000 subscribers last week. So, hey, we want you to be uh, in that number. I want you to be counted in that group of IC subscribers and big Tar Heel fans. So go on over, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. All this stuff will be there for you. And even if you're just here listening to us on the typical uh, audible mediums, uh, we appreciate you listening to us and making this podcast part of your regular rotation. As always, we'd love your feedback. Hit me up, Joey, at InsideCarolina.com, or uh, shout us out on the message boards. Let us know what you like, don't like, et cetera, et cetera. But enough about that. Let's move on to the two gentlemen that you guys are here to hear from. Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, the guys that make this show what it is. Fellas, appreciate you joining us as always. In the book, since we last spoke, the Tar Heels have now added two more wins. One on the road in a very, as expected, hostile uh, environment in Raleigh. Uh, as always, the vitriol was, was at high levels and being hurled vehemently at Tar Heel players and fans and coaches alike. Uh, Tar Heels walk out of there with a win, which in the second half just really... They put, the, they put the hammer down really quickly. That went from a close game to a not close game in what seemed like a blank. And I know uh, folks listening to the show were probably happy to see uh, see that materialize. And the Tar Heels came back home for their, what seemed like their only second game in about three years in the Smith Center hmm. and just absolutely undressed Syracuse on national television. That game probably should have come with a, uh, a, a rated R or even an NC-17 warning because... That was not safe for children and or families. Uh, Tar Heels absolutely just laying a biscuit down on uh, Syracuse, who looked like they just, uh, and shout out to Bobby Fraser for doing the post game with me yesterday. 
he made this comment. I think he's right. Syracuse just looked like they quit once North Carolina kind of started putting the paddle to them. Uh, so, guys, I'll come to you first. Sean, tell me what your two, uh, one or two biggest takeaways from these two wins were this week for the Tar Heels. I think it was great seeing them them go two and zero, especially closing closing out that three game road streak uh, with a win. I think they they had two very different type of performances from uh, you know really struggling on on offense uh, against NC State, but but playing great defensively, uh, and then Syracuse where they were able to really have their best best offensive game in the in the new year and the best one for quite some time against a you know say a power five power five team so i think it was it was great to see um i guess the, the two sides right once again we're, we're talking non non-tournament teams most likely that they're winning against but at the same time uh you know they especially the nc state game actually both games nc state they controlled it similar to what we talked about last last week with Pitt and Clemson. They controlled the game, uh, even when there are stretches where the league could be cut, uh, or even last year where you felt like, hey, they're they're about to give it up. They continued to answer both offensively and defensively. And then Syracuse, they were able to take care of business early um, and push it out. I, I think we've spent so much time the past few years talking about the opportunities UNC has had to almost end games early, and they don't often often take it. So it was nice to see them them end it really in the first half. And even when Syracuse made an early run in the second half for them to answer and and put it away uh, for a nice, comfortable victory. Cheryl, I want to ask you the same thing. What were your takeaways uh, from this past these past two games this week? Uh, continuing to find different ways to win games, I think. Uh, we, we talked about, I think you asked us last week whether or not we thought the defensive ability and the defensive play was sustainable over you know the rest of the season, and while I still think it probably isn't at that level, um, they still continue to play tremendous defense. You know, obviously against NC State, uh, it's one of the worst shooting games I think NC State's had in quite some time. Um, and then against Syracuse, you know, it wasn't as good, but by that point the offense had kind of caught up a little bit. So you can kind of see where I think right now. I think they're the number 15 rated offense and the number seven or six rated defense. So I think if you can get those numbers, those numbers will probably equalize a little bit. And, you know, a top 20 defense and a top 20 offense is enough. So I, I think that was my big takeaway is that they have some room to, they, they have a little bit of margin for error, which is more than I thought they did at the beginning of the season. Cause I thought, well, they don't have any whatsoever um, because of the way the, the pieces fit. But uh, I think, Winning different ways, uh, ugly, grinded out game on the road against State, and then just one where they kind of blitz Syracuse uh, is a big takeaway. And then um, I really think, again, you asked us last week, like, what's the one thing that can make this team, you know, better overall? And we, we I think everybody said, well, if Elliot Cadeau can continue to grow, then I think mm-hmm. that'll be huge for Carolina. And I think you saw some defensive growth in addition to um, those three or four times a game, which is better than the one or two times a game he was doing it before, where he realizes that people just can't stay in front of him. I mean, the 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 key stretch against Syracuse was that um, Syracuse had cut it to 16 or 15, and Cadeau hits a runner, gets fouled, misses the free throw, uh, rebound by Harrison Ingram, back out to Cadeau for a layup. He had another nice pass to RJ Davis for a three that, during that stretch, and I think he had one to RJ that led to that uh, dunk by Baycott. So there was a stretch there where he just kind of took over the game just through his passing and, and through controlling the offense. So I, I, to me, that's the two biggest things. The Elliot Cadeau, we were seeing those small baby steps, I, I think, that we were seeing at the beginning of the season, and then that they're winning in, in, in different ways. 
yeah, the hockey assist to, to Baycott was something. Um, you know, just seeing them move the ball that way and have so much fun doing it. Sean, you've watched a lot more ball than I have, you and Sherelle both. I feel like Elliot Cadeau has proven through the first 16 games of the season that he can get to the basket whenever he wants to. A- am I overanalyzing that, or do you feel like that's actually that that's actually bearing fruit and is actually you know coming to pass? I think it's nice to have to have a player that that has that ability from the first step uh, to go with the the ball handling. We talked about it last week driving right. He was averaging 1.5 points per possession, which we said was insanely high. That's up to 1.64 points per possession. So teams know what he wants to do, and and they're still having trouble stopping him, uh, especially given some of the open looks that he that he did have. Uh, you know, there was even a possession against NC State where the defender did a good job of staying in front of him, but at the same time, he was able to really put pressure on the defense. Uh, so that that just creating a little more space for for everybody else. So I think having a guy with that explosiveness and and that ability is is something UNC has lacked over the years. And I think once again, that's just going to continue to to grow. And and I think even if he's able to just get a little more confidence, once again, not really from the three point line, but say that that mid range, just stop and pop, or the ability to unleash it a little bit more, I, I think that will continue to to elevate him as, as teams, you know, begin to set, you know, not begin, but continue to, to sag off. Um, and, and then uh, go ahead, Shaw. No, I was going to say, there's, there's nothing wrong. I think he has to realize too. Sometimes I feel like he gets the ball at the top of the key and they leave him open. And he's like, I have to shoot the three. There's nothing wrong with taking an in rhythm two-step pull up from the free throw line extended. And I, I think you talked about Sean, like uh, late night or live action how he was doing some of that stuff. And we, we've seen it or during the course of the se- course of the season, not often where, you know, two dribble pull up, he it's up almost automatic. Uh, I'm sure Adrian will check the numbers and this will be wrong, but uh, it, it feels like it's automatic. So I, I'd love to see him do that. If they're going to give you five or six feet, take two dribbles and pull up and you're, it feels like he's more comfortable with that shot anyway. I think the, the other thing on, on Cadeau, once again, go, goes back to the passing. Um, obviously a gifted passer. I think he's, Starting to get everybody's starting to get more comfortable with him. He's getting more comfortable with with them. You, you've seen some of the passes he made to Armando. Um, I think going back to the NC State game, it was uh, getting a little tighter. They had they had just scored, and he gets the ball out of bounds. One dribble launches up court to Trimble, who who gets gets in transition and and gets a basket. So especially when you're struggling like that offensively, being able to get a few easy baskets like that and just move the ball a little further, not to mention once again, how he he's getting Davis, just some, some nice catch and shoot look. So still, still a ways to go in terms of that ceiling for him, but it's, it's nice to see him continuing to stay more aggressive. And last thing, it, it also looks like he's been more talkative on the court, um, you know, in, in huddles or uh, coming out of timeouts, things of that nature. I've often seen him being the one almost being the most talkative, which I think early on, it was more of a more of a listener. So nice to see just what looks like continued comfortability with everybody. I think there's something else that that jumped out at me this past week. Uh, we've talked about so much in the offseason. Would Hubert Davis use his bench? I think not only is Hubert Davis using the bench now, we're actually seeing consistent contributions from those guys. Sherelle in the group chat uh, during the Syracuse game was pointing out that you know North Carolina. It, it, very early in the in the first half had played uh eight guys and seven of them had scored already 
Um, and I think that ended being 11 players in the scorebook for the Tar Heels. Cheryl, do you think this balance is sustainable? I think it was the under, I think it was the under 16 and six people had already scored because Armando it was came early. Out early. Armando yeah. came out early and the five starters had scored and then Jalen Washington had to put back. So I, I think six guys had scored by the under 16 in the first half, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think it's sustainable. Obviously, it's not going to be a situation where, you know, Jalen Washington might get 10 one game and and then uh, you don't expect Withers and Washington um, to, to be in double figures kind of every game. But I do think as long as one of them or, or um, you know, even I guess I'm, I'm counting Trimble as kind of like a, a six starter. I've said that all year. But uh, as long as one of them is able to do that offensively, then I think UNC will be fine. And I think that's something they just haven't had in, in the past. Like um, they had 13 first half bench points uh, against Syracuse. There were games where they didn't have five bench points uh, the last couple of years. So I think you're seeing guys grow into their roles. And the biggest thing and uh, I hate to keep saying we talked about, but it, it's fun to kind of marry this stuff with what, you know, we observe in the past. But role definition is just a huge thing. Role definition and communication between coaching staff and players are is huge. It, it might be the biggest thing now with the way college basketball is played. And I think this team 100% knows exactly its, its role. I think maybe Jalen Withers was the only one for the first few games, the first maybe month. It wasn't quite sure what he was supposed to be doing, but I think now he has a firm understanding of what his job is on this team. And his play, it's not a coincidence, has gotten better um, as he's accepted that role and kind of grown into it. So, uh, you know, they always say, you know, be everyone can't be a star, but be a star in your role. And that is really what's defining North Carolina right now because everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do and they go out and they execute. Now, the issue is going to be as the competition continues to ramp and as they hit, um, some hard spots, you know, as they hit inevitably a loss. Yes, this team is going to lose a game. So prepare yourselves. It, it's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> like, how do you respond? Do you stay and, and um, you know, play your role or do you try to do too much? And that's when things can start to, to go south. So um, they're together and that's a good thing. So I, I think I think it can keep going. Um, we'll see. And we've talked about, too, the the quality of, of teams in this league is not what it has been five or six years ago. That's not to say, you know, you don't have to play well every single game. I and mean, we saw just this past week, Louisville beat Miami. Um, but, the, you know, you, you do need to bring it when you play. But, yeah, there, there should be plenty of opportunities for North Carolina to kind of continue to stack wins. Um, Sean, looking at, at this roster and seeing Hubert Davis playing, you know, eight, nine, sometimes a legit 10 deep, do you take any solace or do you take any comfort in, in thinking that North Carolina's seventh or eighth guy might be better than some of the seventh or eighth guys um, that they're going to see the rest of the conference season? I think you get it, especially watching Seth Trimble in terms of, one, the improvement that they made. And I think, you know, with Washington, even though he's been playing, you know, super offensively and is growing defensively. Sometimes you get a little, little worry when he's getting, you know, can get pushed around or maybe he's not, not catching the ball at times, but I think Trimble has been so solid. Uh, Cause I think coming into the season, you're wondering, Hey, what's his role going to look like? How does he, how does he, you know, super athletic offensively can, can uh, get to the basket and, and finish which he did in high school and defensively can probably uh, be a great on ball defender, but his outside shooting, I think has just opened up, you know, so much more for him. And I kind of continue to wait for that to fall off, but he continues to hit 
big shots when they're needed and he's not taking a high volume, but he's hitting them consistently. So I think, you know, just his, his ability and his growth has, has made what Joey, what you're saying, I think very, very accurate. And then I think even going down to Zayden high, who I think can, can still give the team something as, as he's continuing to grow because he is extremely aggressive, uh, crashing the boards and, and has a little fire to him. So I think, you're seeing that freshman to sophomore year leap uh, in, in terms of Trimble and, and Washington. But to Sherelle's point, in terms of roles, you have guys who aren't, um, even if they're making the leap, thinking, hey, I need to be the alpha or I need to show that I need to be scoring 15 points a game. They're they're playing well within the system and still letting the older guys do what, do what, they, do what they're doing. What's crazy is, you know, we talked about UNC recruiting last year uh, and everything that happened with adding Zayden High to the class. Uh, Sherelle said plenty of times, and both of you guys have, for watching this game, talked about the fact that, you know, he's got length, he's got uh, some athletic ability. I think maybe I took for granted that he would be so noticeable when he's on the court in a positive way. A lot of times when you have um, when you have freshman players that that play for North Carolina, when they get in, they they make freshman mistakes. That's not to say Zayden High is not making freshman mistakes, but one thing you are noticing in his limited minutes is every time he gets in there, he does something positive. Like he was in for the last 90 seconds against NC State and ended up getting a bucket uh, right before the half. And so when you think about guys like, yeah, he's going to have a couple of fouls, but I swear every time he gets into a game, I do feel like he's bringing some positive juice uh, and contributing in a in a positive way. And that's going back to... You know, the, the comment Sherell always says about does does the staff trust you? Uh, he's going to earn a lot of trust continuing to put that energy in. Sherell, if if you remember um, in the preseason, Hubert Davis kind of sung his praises, and I think we were all still um, a little wary, weary, wary. I always confuse those two of whether or not you know that was Hubert Davis kind of being super positive with his guys, or if that was actually what was happening in practice. And I think now we see that you know they really he really did make a huge impression on them. And that he's a part of their plans going forward. Now, obviously, you know, with the way Harrison Ingram has played and with the way Baycott plays, you know, you're not going to get a ton of minutes if, if you're saying high. But like you said, they trust him and they'll let him come in for a couple minutes. And, uh, you know, put it, they went to him in the post one time uh, against State for a hook shot. And he got it, or sorry, against Syracuse for a hook shot. And he had a layup, uh, you know, against State. So they trust him that much to have him in the game. And, and I think that bodes well for the future because. In these days, the way college basketball is played, you have to start thinking about your roster next year at any given moment. And the fact that he's getting minutes and uh, he's really embedding himself in the culture and, and playing often, I think that will help you know him stay around. Not that there was any doubt about that, but that'll make him want to stay around. Whereas other guys who didn't play, you know, last year they left. So um, that's all that is, is consideration. I think when you're talking about Zayden High and what he's been doing in his limited minutes. And Sherelle just mentioned the the word culture. And I think that's been a, a question of what is the the culture at, at UNC, especially under Heber Davis. And I think with the portal, each year is going to be very different. But I think you can see with this team, we talked about how it was kind of perfectly melded in terms of, you know, the star upperclassmen mixing in with some talented uh, transfers. And then you have the star freshman coming in who whose style of play, the pass first, just enhances what everything everybody else is doing but I was listening to a podcast the other day with Doc Rivers and he was talking about joy you know our teams what teams are playing with joy and what teams just don't enjoy playing with each other and 
even when you're not the most talented team, if you're playing together, that can, uh, you know, negate maybe some athletic athleticism deficiencies or other things that, that exists. And I think you see that on a daily basis. We talked about Cormac Ryan and even Paxton Wojcik, the fire that they would bring, but I think Harrison Ingram, um, you know, once he, I think he gets after it more, a lot more on the court than you think in terms of maybe some of the trash talk or, or things he's, he's saying, um, on the court, but at the same time, you see him with that smile, um, even when he's when he's messing up, when things are going well, uh, when when he's going off the court uh, for a timeout, and and how people are all interacting, not just with him, but but everybody. And I think that in itself is is something obviously that can't be measured, but something this team has. And one, it makes it fun to watch, but two, it does make it easier for everybody to play together versus. Uh, you know, individuals. And then even Cormac Ryan, who has, uh, you know, struggled, maybe not played great the last two games. Um, you know, he's still giving it his all defensively, even when he got beat to the basket against NC State. He, he still made it, you know, tough for them. And he's still, you know, the first one to to go, go give somebody a high five after they made a basket. So, you know, he, even though he's not shooting the ball from three, uh, he, he's still making positive team contributions. It's funny that you mentioned Doc Rivers um, and kind of joy. One of the things that Hubert Davis actually cited in one of his press availabilities recently was uh, he was sharing kind of one of Doc Rivers' philosophies about Ubuntu, um, which is a Southern African, I think it's Zulu is where it's rooted in, but it's this concept of like full on humanity and, and you know, connectedness and, and like the, the full virtue of, of humanity and giving of yourself to those around you. And if you start putting that into a basketball context, I think that's incredibly deep. But I think it's also a great example and a great um, application of what's happening in Chapel Hill this year, where you have guys who you've heard us say it on this show, but you've heard the coaching staff and the players say it. They're all bought in. They're all very much, um, you know, Rail said it a second ago. There's a lot of togetherness. There's a lot of connectiveness. There's a lot of connectedness. Um, and, and so it, it, it doesn't I, I, it's not lost on me, the fact that you're talking about. Uh, hearing Doc Rivers recently, Sean, because I think that uh, there's definitely a through line there between he and uh, he and Hubert Davis and their relationship and and so forth. Uh, and so that we're not just being totally positive here. Concerns, right? We did see the Tar Heels win two different ways this week, as y'all mentioned. Uh, defensive, you know, they were good at some points. I think that um, I think the Syracuse just tapped at some point in the game uh, at the Smith Center. But what concerns do you guys have? Sherelle, I'll come to you first about that one. L- looking forward. Yeah, the, uh, the three-point shooting has gone from, you know, like a strength to not concern to a little concern because Carolina's obviously 5-0 and in ACC play, and we know that three of those games were on the road. But I'm going to read you the stats from three-point range in their five ACC games. Against Florida State, way back when, they were 5-22. of That's 22%. Against Pittsburgh, they were 5 of 17. That's 29%. Against Clemson, they were 8 of 23. That's 34%. That's the best they've shot in ACC play. Against NC State, they were 7 of 21 for 33%. And against Syracuse, they were 7 of 26 for 26%. So it it makes you wonder, at some point, are teams going to start adjusting how they are defending North Carolina? Um, Because right now, it's kind of R.J. Davis will make 3 or 4. You can kind of guarantee that. Cormac may go two for seven or he may go 0 for eight. Harrison Ingram will, will make one or two, but you know, the last five games, he's, he's kind of trending downward in that. He was up around 46%. He's now down to 40. He's not leading the team anymore. 
uh, RJ Davis is at 41%. So um, I, I wonder about that and it, it has to get corrected. And I think the biggest place for improvement there is Cormac Ryan. Uh, he's, he's shooting not quite 28% from three this season, which is way beneath or below what, what any of us thought going in. I think they've been able to survive because Seth Trimble has hit some timely threes. Um, I think Jalen Washington hit a couple and, and even Jalen Withers hit one in the ACC game. So that's kind of mitigated it, but that really has to improve moving forward. Two things. One, uh, Jalen Withers has – Jalen Withers. Uh, Seth Trimble has become automatic from that right corner three. Uh, I feel like he's hit – you know, I feel like he's hit 10 if he's hit one of them this year. Um, Sean, do you have any idea – and I'm going back to one of your favorite mantras. Uh, do you have any idea how many threes North Carolina is averaging per game right now? Um, I should know this off the top of my head, but I'm going to go six six point two, seven point eight. So they're oh. they're hov- they're hovering around your number of eight. But to Sherelle's point, for the volume that they're taking, uh, they definitely could bump that number up a little bit. And it could be something as simple as as Cormac Ryan kind of finding his stroke. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to watch that. Sean, give me your concerns that you've seen uh, this past week that you feel like could could probably be addressed. Well, in, in terms of the the eight number, you know, watching the Syracuse game, they got to five or six pretty early on, and then obviously they finished seven seven of twenty six. So so struggled from that. Um, you know, I think concerns once again defensively. You know, going into ACC play, they were in the mid forty fortieth percentile from Synergy's perspective defensively, and they've jumped up into the 84th, which I think is a tremendous leap and backs up what you're seeing in Kempom and, and all the other, all the other metrics. Um, I still think that's, you know, they're going to kind of regression to the mean, they're going to come down, but at the same time, they are, I think just keeping their man in front of them. They're helping when help is needed. I think when they're, they're doubling in the NC state game, uh, you know, there is a trust from, both the players and the coaching staff of how you rotate once the ball is the ball is moved. So while it may come down and, and teams are at some point going to shoot better than a collective 20% or what we've been seeing from three, uh, I, I think just how they've been, how aggressive they've been will, will help. Um, but I would agree with Sherelle offensively, the 1.23 points per possession against Syracuse was, was great. Um, probably much higher before the, the final six minutes, but still an area of, of concern in, in terms of, of that. And I think, you know, Sherelle mentioned Cormac Ryan and, and his ability. I think we all talked about, Hey, can he shoot 35 to 30, 38% from, from three? That would be fantastic. And if we can get Ingram up to the 35, you know, 33 to 35% from where he had been at and, and Ingram at the 40%, but in ACC plays around 22%. So I think offensively uh, he's the one that, I think really needs to kind of not pick it up because he's, he's hit big shots when he has made the threes and he's found other ways to to score and def, you know, the defensive rebounding and offensive rebounding has been, been huge. Um, but I think he's, he's the the glue that can continue helping this uh, move at a, at a fast pace for UNC as they, they look to stay in the top 10 uh, nationally. All right. So let's take a look at the upcoming games this week. Uh, they've got Louisville at home Wednesday night. That's going to be a late one. Um, Sean will be perfect for you, you West Coast bum you. Um, and, and then there will be a there will be a game at Boston College next Saturday. Uh, previews: What do you guys expect to see out of these two games? Uh, we, we've talked about you know Louisville struggles um, 
does seem they're finding something there a little bit better. I think they played better against NC State. They did beat Miami. Uh, and the Boston College has been up and down this year as well. Um, playing at Conti is always really weird. Uh, Sean, your expectations for this week? I think from an expectation standpoint, you're you're obviously playing two of the the worst teams in the in the conference, so you want to come out with with two wins. Um, I, I think would love to see. I know it's not not easy just to say, hey, just do what you did against Syracuse, so jump out to a big lead, and and keep it. So I, I think it, it'll definitely be some more some more struggles, but I think you want to see offensively just the the ball move moving. Um, you know, continuing to to take good shots, and then defensively, you know how they've just been playing collectively together. Uh, and I think playing at Boston College is always a UNC has always done very well there. So hopefully that that continues. But I think really just continuing to offensively uh, continue to to play well. Elliot Cadeau would love to see him, as Cheryl was mentioning, take some of the, the pull up jump shots or even a little you know threes a little earlier in the game. Just kind of let him let him get out and running and you know Jalen, Jalen Washington as well. Just, uh, he did it. He did it once, um, against Syracuse is a little bit longer outside of that eight to 10 comfort range, but it's still an automatic, you know, fa- face up jump shot. And and want to see him just continue to, to use that as part of, part of his overall, overall game. Real dog. Same question. Well, I think, you know, now that you're going to be top five, top four, um, everything changes because this team so far, I think, has thrived on, you know, we're not going to quote, we're not going to be what last season was. And we all came from bad situations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now you're the one who's ranked in the top five. You're the one who has to take everybody's best shot. Uh, everyone's trying to prove something by beating you as opposed to what, the way it's been throughout the season. Like they're trying to make their mark. They're trying to get their quad one win, um, which is a change. You know, you know, this is what North Carolina has traditionally been, but not what North Carolina has been the last you know five and a half years outside of a, a, a brief stretch so uh, i think how they respond to that will say a lot I, I think this team hasn't given us any indication thus far that they will do some of the things that traditional carolina teams do which is you know come out flat after big wins uh just have an inexplic- inexplicable loss they may not play well but you expect them to to always compete and i think that's that was a question um you know over both administration both coaching staffs over the last few years so um, that is a win in itself. So maybe that will help mitigate some of those uh, potential upsets. But again, this team is going to lose again. So everybody just accept that uh, it's going to happen, whether or not it's Louisville or Boston College, we'll see. Um, but they're going to lose again, and we'll, we'll see how they respond. But you would think, despite Louisville playing better, uh, taking NC State to the wire, beating Miami at Miami, um, that they can handle Louisville at home uh, just because of some of the advantages UNC has. And then, you know, Conti form will be uh, probably 50-50 Carolina fans and BC fans, to be honest. But and it'll be half empty. It'll be half empty. It'll be half empty. And of the other half that's full, it'll be 25% Carolina and 25% yes. uh, Boston College. But, yep. you know, there have been some tough games up there for UNC where they were clearly the better team and where UNC has had better teams than this one, and they've struggled. Um, yeah. You know, we all go all the way back to the 2000, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, with Tyrese Rice and, you know, they were down by 20 and came back and won those type games. There were games where, um, well, that, know, that was a, favorite. that was a different, uh, Boston, Boston college. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but you know, Quentin Post is a good player. Like, yeah. you know, he, he could be an all, all ACC type guy. I, I think he is again. Um, so 
anytime you go on the road, just like we talked about with Clemson, Pittsburgh, um, NC State, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta have your A game. So all that to say is I ramble on. I think they should get two wins this week. Um, but you know, it's going to be tough, and now they're they are the hunted to use a cliche, and they have to adjust to that. Yeah, BC is weird, man. I feel like every time you know North Carolina plays there, it's a bring your own vibe situation because there's like, like not no, like you're saying because I mean there were there I think the COVID year they went up there and won by forty. You know, Caleb yes. Love was hitting everything, I, I, but then there was there was one year where you know Roy Williams had a Virgo bout and Steve Robinson mm-hmm. became the head coach. The and yep. They they I think they were ranked like top twelve and they barely won against a terrible Boston College team. So you just never know. It's weird, I, man, because it's think, it's that that, that arena's half empty no matter what. And like Cheryl said, you're looking at a, a, a fair showing of, of of UNC fans. They're always there from the Boston Carolina Club and and those folks. But yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's rough getting a, a vibe in there. Go ahead, Sean. We'll need to check this stat, but I feel at the spread they have a very strong record at Boston Boston College. All right, noted. We will file that away and uh, and check that one out. Um, <clears throat> something that happened uh, this week at. Uh, at the Smith Center was uh, Dream on Three, who is a um, it's a national now nonprofit, but started in Charlotte. Shout out to my guy, my guy, Chandler Minor, Corey Lin- Corey Alexander. Uh, but shout out to Brandon Lindsay, the the founder of that organization. Dream on Three is essentially a uh, an organization that grants sports themed wishes uh, for kids who uh, for kids who could use it. And they um they hooked up with UNC and, and Eric Hoots and, and the staff over at uh, Carolina Basketball. To deliver a dream for uh, Colburn, who's a young man from uh, my son's elementary school over in Durham, and uh, and guys, they, Colburn got to take a limo over to watch practice on Friday. Hung out with the team some then. Um, he, he got great tickets. Got plenty of photos with uh, Roy Williams and the team. Got to go in the locker room after the game. Just they they really rolled out the red carpet for him. But I think the biggest thing that happened for Colburn's trip over to Chapel Hill was he got a shopping trip to Johnny T-shirt. Right. So like dream on three, they're making kids dreams come true are including a shopping trip in that dream to Johnny T-shirt. I can't think of a better way to describe it because you know, Colburn got to go in there and pick out his swag. And so, you know, when he went to the UNC Syracuse game, he was dressed to the nines. He had something new from from you name it, whatever brand he wanted to get because Johnny T-shirt has all that stuff. Um, I don't know if, if if he might be a premium subscriber. He's a little young, so maybe his family are premium subscribers. But if they were, they probably got that extra 10% off of his uh, purchase price uh, there at Johnny T. So uh, I'm sure that was probably the highlight. In spite of meeting the team and the win and, and the limo and all that stuff, I'm betting the shopping spree at Johnny T-shirt was probably uh, his his biggest highlight of the, of the weekend. So uh, definitely appreciate Johnny T-shirt. Shout out to Colburn. Uh, and Dream on Three and those folks who are doing good things for kids uh, who could use their day bright in a little bit. Press pause. Going to let the uh, national guys come in here and drop some ads in. We'll be right back to talk a little bit of recruiting before we get out here on this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Appreciate everybody being a part of the show tonight. Uh, Sherelle and Sean with us as always and breaking down the goods, giving us the insight that, that you know, hopefully our listeners have come to expect. Our viewers are, are looking for when they tune in. Uh, Sherelle, recruiting side of things just a little bit. Hoopaw Classic, one of the more uh, notable, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, tournaments or events. Uh, it's put on every year uh, by the Hoop Hall, um, the Hall of Fame for, for basketball. Put that together. Tell us a little bit about that and why that matters to Tar Heel fans, please, sir. Hey, it's a huge event. Um, maybe maybe the biggest one, not during the summer. Um, I, I think it's, it's definitely up there. Uh, the national championships are up there, too, but... Uh, every January, they go up there to Springfield. They invite some of the best teams in the country, uh, public schools, private schools, academies, you know, prep powerhouses, any, you name it. And uh, they have a you know, huge tournament for, for boys and girls. And the games, actually, there's a game on. We're recording this Sunday night. Uh, there's a game on right now. Um, I think Montverde is playing IMG on ESPN2. And then there will be games on Monday all throughout the day on ESPNU, I believe, including Link Academy who we know has uh, 2024 UNC signee James Brown, as well as 2025 Alfred guard Jasper Johnson. So um, the UNC staff we know went up there on Saturday. Uh, Koa Pete, another one of UNC's top targets, is there. Uh, the Boozer brothers, you know, UNC targets are there. AJ DeBansta, uh, Prolific Prep is there. Uh, so some of the, the biggest names in, in high school basketball are all playing. Uh, and it's just a, a really cool event because everybody's there in the one arena and it's where a lot of connections happen. It's where, if you remember Ian Jackson announced his commitment to UNC uh, last year, I think it'll be, I think it's tomorrow last year that he announced his commitment to UNC uh, at fall. So out of, out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a day we, we need to do a podcast on that one day about like at 11 AM, it was, was like, nuts. he's going to, he's going to Kentucky. And then at 1130, we, we started to get, we're like, it's going to be Carolina. We are like, are you serious? You know? And then he announced it like one or one thirty or something. But um, yeah, just a huge tournament, big names, uh, all the all the people in the industry who mean anything are are, are pretty much there, <laughs> and all the best players are there too. And obviously, Heber Davis and Jeff Lebo were there Saturday night. And I think they were there again today um, before heading back. Yeah, and if if that many teams, that many prospects are, are in one place, you know, like Cheryl said, uh, any coach who's worth his or her salt will be up there as well. Uh, Sean, I understand also that uh, you did a nice little video breakdown for us um, about uh, Cousin Drake, Drake Powell. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, I was just trying to piggyback off of uh, what Sherelle, Sherelle did with the, the live recap on the game against Myers Park on uh, Saturday night. So definitely enjoyed being able to read through the, the quarterly recaps that he, that he did provide on, on how Drake was, was doing both offensively and, and defensively and was lucky enough to have video that today. Uh, so I was able to, to really piece everything together that Sherelle put on the, the message board post. So it's about two minutes, but I think always good to see outside of the 30-second highlight clips, uh, you know, how, how a full game look for, for a player. And I think both offensively and defensively, you can see, 
uh, you know, some of the just great things that that he he does do. Um, also, some of the you know improvement improvement areas, and I think one one area that we have been and will continue to talk uh, regarding Drake Powell's is three point shooting, and that's something when we did a video coming out of the Oregon uh, Oregon tournament, he was in the I believe the low twenties from a three point percentage and now on the season he's up to about 43 percent um so north of north of 40 so obviously over the last really two to three weeks has has improved tremendously similar to unc's defense um but yeah take a look at look at that and, and read through sherelle's uh live live recap they did also yeah and he you know he played well uh i think in, in stretches last night obviously myers park who they were playing is the prohibitive favorite to to win the state championship at their division. I think they're probably, they are the best public team in the state. I think they're probably the best team overall um, in the state, including some of the academies um, around. Uh, The the big three, I would say for them, Bishop Boswell, who's signed to go to Tennessee, uh, Sir Muhammad, who's signed to go to Notre Dame, um, and then uh, AJ Sadiq White, who is, uh, you know, like a top 40 player in 2025. And the biggest thing last night was just Northwood didn't have the size, really. Uh, I would say the size or athleticism to to kind of hang with um, Myers Park. You know, they they were down most of the game. They were down fourteen to seven at the end of the first quarter, and somehow um, got up nineteen to sixteen there in um, the second quarter. And then you could kind of see the talent for Myers Park uh, take over. You know, Northwood played extremely hard, and I think for Drake Powell, the next step for him. Uh, and you know when you're the when you're a top five player, people start start to kind of pick you apart a little bit. Um, but there were times where he probably could have forced the action, I think, offensively a little bit more than he did. And that's not a negative on him at all because you know he obviously is their best player, and and they're looking to him to do a lot. Whether it's you know he blocked three or four shots, he was grabbing rebounds, he covered White, he covered Muhammad, and he covered Boswell at some point um, during the game. So obviously he's doing a lot, but. There, there are glimpses where you can see, like, oh, wow, you know, this is, insert whatever, you know, you know, phrase you want to use about what he could be, and then, you know, it goes away for a few minutes, and then it comes back for nine, ten, eleven plays, and it goes away for four. And I think part of it probably is the the team construction and and the constraints there. Um, so, what I wanted to get to, and I, I want to ask Sean about this, I want to ask you too about it, Joey, is that when you see someone who's ranked in the top three. You know, when they come into college, your assumption is they're going to come in and give you, you know, 14 to 15 points a game. And if they don't, you know, what's going on? And I think we, we as a media and, you know, we as a basketball community need to go ahead and get ahead of that because Drake's skill set, while he can do it uh, as far as, you know, going ISO and just getting buckets, that's not exactly, you know, who he is as a basketball player. He is a really all around developed, mature basketball player. And I think the expectation for him entering Carolina is what we we say every single podcast is that he's not going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a ne- negative when he when he comes in. If he doesn't start, he's going to, you know, knock down some open shots. And he's going to really compete. And I think that is the baseline that that we should start with. And people will say, well, he's a top three player, top five player. You, you got to ask for more than that. And I think his ranking is a lot about projection. He's really good now. Don't get me wrong. But his ranking is about projection. And I think it's just we kind of had to thread that needle between, yes, he's a really good player, but no, you shouldn't expect, you know, 16 points and looking like R.J. Davis as a freshman. Yeah, but I think the the beautiful thing that that North Carolina has going for it right now is 
uh, Harrison Ingram may still be on campus for for that. And I think Harrison Ingram, even if he even if he isn't around next year, I see Sean is about to break his neck, shaking his head. Even if Harrison Ingram is not in Chapel Hill next year, I think that's a good comp for North Carolina, at least from a statistical standpoint, that if he gets to play uh, the minutes that Ingram is getting next year, which he may or may not, I think that style of contribution uh, is not, you know, is not too far to is not too far to expect. It's a lot different than seeing a guy be a, a you know, a 25 point getter every night out because he's in the top three. All right, Sean, cut that apart. Well, I think it goes back to the podcast we did with with Travis. I thought when we when we talked about Drake collectively, it it made a lot of sense where similar to Harrison Ingram's role, you don't expect him to be the number one guy despite the the ranking. I think from a scoring perspective, Ian Jackson will will provide that um just from that from the freshman coming in, but from being able to do so many so many things on the court and I think just seeing, you know, even if he is going going ISO or his pull-ups from from mid-range and what he's doing in high school obviously a lot of that won't exactly translate into unc system but i think continuing to develop his skill set just gives him uh you know more more variety when he when he does get to unc but to Charles' point there will still be a significant learning curve i mean right now we're seeing watching it in action with, with elliot cadeau obviously he did reclass but you could see all the things that he was doing and and the growth that's that's needed so yeah i think you know, not to overhype it and caution. And in terms of the ranking, he is top five currently, but you don't see him on the Nike Hoop Summit team, which which had 12, 10 or 12 guys announced this week. So I think he's going to bring a lot of intangibles as well as his athleticism, both offensively and defensively. And going to that video, I think some of the blocks he had were were pretty remarkable, just how he was able to time that and where he was able to get to on the defensive end. Okay, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look in the camera real quick, Joey, and just make this point and hammer it home. I am not saying that Drake Powell is not a great player. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to explain is that the expectation with people who have his ranking is that scoring is at the top of the list, and that that is what they're going to do. And I, I want to make a comparison, but I don't want to cloud things because people will say, "Oh, you can't compare him to him," so I'm not going to do that. But I will just say, he's I already did. It's fine. <laughs> he's going to contribute a ton as a freshman. It just is not going to be, you know, 20 points. I'd be surprised if he scores 20 points at any point during his freshman year. And that's not a bad thing. There's not a lot of freshmen who score 20 points, but he's going to be a great defender. He's going to rebound. He's going to hit open shots. You know, he's going to push tempo. He's going to be a great finisher, which you, you can't ask for more than that. I just want to just marry, like I said, the, the expectation divide that comes with uh, his ranking and kind of the player that he is. So just... I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's not going to be great for Carolina. It's just that scoring isn't going to be something that I think he is going to contribute as a freshman, nor frankly that they will really need for him to contribute as a freshman. Yeah, we we did see an alley oop um, on the offensive end this this past uh, past weeks, and if if Elliot Cadeau were to stay around, I think you would be seeing a significant amount of alley oops being thrown to to Drake Powell and and Ian Jackson for for next season. Uh, another thing, and I, I don't mind saying this, I'm going to rip off one of Sean's favorite points, is that I don't think you'll have an issue with Drake Powell like you do some other freshmen with the ball getting stuck in his hands. Um, I do think he's got enough court awareness, uh, self-awareness, and then vision to understand what's going to be expected of him uh, to be able to keep the ball moving, which, uh, again, as we've seen with freshmen and, and with North Carolina in the recent past, that's been an issue. Boys, uh, since I butchered it so poorly last week, why don't we make sure we give 
the the nod to our friends at Congruity HR that they uh, so greatly deserve. Uh, Congruity HR, big fans of of Inside Carolina, and we are actually greater fans of them. Uh, they will optimize your business, and they're like Joey. What does that mean? Stop using this corporate mumbo jumbo. Tell me what optimizing my business means. Well, if you're a small business or medium sized business owner, or even a manager, somebody that makes decisions at your business, you recognize that the key to your business growth is being able to focus on profitability. Well, profitability isn't always top line income. Profitability can also be where you're saving money on expenses. And what congruity is going to be able to do is look at your business, look at your business model, and it's not just PL ana uh, analysis. Congruity is going to look at what your company does and they're going to say, hey, these are places where you could be a little more efficient. These are places where you could cut back on some things. These are some places where you can actually save money by doing X, Y, or Z. And Congruity will do that to help you with your uh, human resources decisions, benefits, a lot of other things that are really weighing on you both financially and mentally as a business owner. Hear me now. Believe me later on, Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Go check it out. Get that free assessment that they're offering for your business. They will tell you how they can help you. If they can't help you for some reason, they will say to you, hey, sir, ma'am, I don't think we can really do a lot to help you because your business is great as it is. Great. Then you've made another contact and move on down the road. But I have this sneaky suspicion if you go to that website, take the free assessment, they might be able to tell you how they can save you some money. We want you to appreciate Congruity the way that uh, we appreciate them and the way they appreciate us. Congruity HR forward slash Tar Heels. Check them out. We appreciate the support of this show and appreciate their patience with this host who butchered the read last week. Thank you, Congruity. Sean, give me your two, two cents presented by Congruity HR. First one, we, we already talked about him a, a lot, is Harrison Ingram, uh, more from a, the, the rebounding perspective. And I think when a team is playing unselfishly, rebounding is is always an area where individuals can be selfish and it still help the help the team. Uh, so I think the aggression that you've seen him come in trying to trying to grab some of the defensive rebounds as of late. I think Man is, is on a tear, ain't he? I think what three three double digit performances in the in the last four. And I think it also takes just some of the pressure off of Armando to be able to, you know, trying to grab grab everything. Uh, we saw what happened earlier with, with UConn and some other teams just dominating the offensive offensive boards. Obviously, we'll see what happens against some bigger bigger teams, but I think that's always an area where individuals can be as self, not as selfish as they want, but they can play selfishly, you know, chasing the defensive rebounding and offensive rebounding stats because it, it helps the team. Um, so hopefully we continue to see those type of, of performances. Um, and then, you know, just from a collective standpoint we'll see where they end up in the rankings there was a lot of top 10 teams that that did lose this week but i think no matter where they no matter where they end over the last month they've been in the top 10 and i think that's just been that consistency is something at least myself and i think a lot of unc fans have wanted or or yearned for over the the years where you lose a lot of games early on and you're just trying to stay tournament relevant so i think it's well, you know, we'll see how long it lasts, but it's nice to see UNC in that upper echelon where I think a lot of us believe they should should be as much as possible. Yeah, right now Harrison Ingram looks like every dad that listens to this show going after the last piece of chicken on the plate, right? 
Like he, it's every single one of them is like, this is mine. This nobody else is going to touch it. This is mine. This is my house. This is my last piece of chicken. Sherell, give me your two cents presented by Congruity. Yeah, to follow up on Sean's, I, I think a couple of the Harrison Ingram stats, like he's tied or set his career high in rebounds like twice in the last two weeks. Back, and then back back, his yeah. first his first two seasons at Stanford, I think it was six times he had 10 or more rebounds in a game. And through 15 games at UNC, excuse me, 16 games at UNC, he's done it five. So he's almost matched two years of production in half a season as far as rebounding at UNC. Um my two pennies, uh, one, Congruity uh, HR, again, great company, love them. I want to send them down to the Dallas Metroplex and, and really do some work with that system down there in, in Dallas with Jerry Jones. Uh, they really need to optimize their business. They really need an assessment. So I'm, I'm so <laughs> tempted. But I, I don't want to waste their time. I'm so tempted to go to congruity.com slash Tar Heels and fill one out for the Dallas Cowboys, but I don't want to waste Congruity's time. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I, I thought about it. So thank you, Congruity, for at least giving me the option of thinking about it. Do you think Congruity can fix what's going on now there? You know, it, there's there's a lot of Carolina football going on with Dallas Cowboy football. So I, I'll leave it at that. Ooh, I, that like, and, I like the you, all, you always get to the precipice. Dallas is a little more successful, I would say, um, overall. But it, it's always about getting to the precipice and then just kind of shooting yourself in the foot once you get there. Um, so there's a lot going on there. Anyway, moving on. You know, I, my, my favorite stat to track uh, the last few years has been conference-only defensive efficiency. And, Let's Jerry, we're a, four, we're a fourth of the way through um, the conference season. There's 15 games left. They played five. There's 20. I, I wasn't a math major, but that is a fourth. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and they are – UNC is number one in uh, overall defensive efficiency, number one in defensive effective field goal percentage, number one in two-point percentage allowed, and number one in three-point percentage allowed. And then surprisingly, they're blocking about 11.5% um, of, of uh, opponents' attempts. So uh, there's rim protection. Uh, they're limiting threes. They're, they're making guys shoot tough twos, and they're not giving up um, you know, many good looks. Um, I, I, well, I shouldn't say they're not giving up many good looks. The teams aren't making many good looks against UNC. So... Um, even though, you know, if you read Adrian's stuff, you, you know that some of it is there, there's a luck factor there, even though UNC yeah. is playing good defense. Yeah. But, you know, a fourth of the way through the season, I, I think we all would have been surprised, one, at the number that UNC is allowing, 84.4 um, points per 100 possessions, which is that's UVA territory. And then, two, that they're leading the conference in so many defensive uh, advanced metrics. I think you'd take that and you'd run with it. And, and you know, the, the block shots category, I, I agree. And even when they're not blocking shots or even if they're not defending shots well, uh, what you saw at the end of the NC State game for basically the whole second half, the opponent was getting one look and that was it because North Carolina is focused so much on on rebounding. Um, yeah, it's just it's a lot to, lot to enjoy. And I, I think we'll close with that tonight. Folks that listen to this show, uh, you may not have had as many opportunities for – for for joy and really appreciating Carolina basketball in the last few years. But if you can't find fun in this team right now, and I know I've said it before, but I'm going to keep saying it uh, because it's there's so much of it to be had with how the team's playing, how they get along, what they look like, how they represent the university, just the the way they seem contagious on the floor with with enjoying each other. If you cannot have fun with this North Carolina basketball team right now, you need to get your fun meter checked. Um, whether that means, you know, call congruity, see if they can fix your fun meter, 
um, call your doctor, see if they have a prescription for it, whatever. If you can't enjoy uh, the type of basketball North Carolina is playing right now, I, I, I don't know that you'll ever enjoy basketball in your life. Um, so I share that just because I know it's not always been fun the last few years. I know it's not always been fun when we've been doing these shows, but but this this brand of ball they're playing right now is uh, is is up there on the enjoyability scale. Fellas, I'm always grateful for the time y'all make for this show. Uh, shout out to our listeners who always seem to work us into their routine. We're glad that you're here. Again, we want your feedback. If you don't like what you're hearing, let us know. Drop a review for us there on um, on however uh, your your podcast system does uh, rating review. We we always appreciate those. Uh, special shout out to John Siegley for producing. I uh, appreciate him. Appreciate Johnny T-shirt for sponsoring, Congruity for sponsoring, uh, but Sean and Sherelle for for making the show what it is. Until next time, I am Joey Powell for Inside Carolina on the Coast to Coast podcast. We will talk to you very soon. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.